Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story Inc. is Aubrey Levy. He's the Vice President of Content and Marketing for The Score, the company behind one of the most popular sports apps in North America and the leading independent provider of on-demand esports video content. Aubrey leads the content and marketing strategy, including for the company's innovative mobile sports book, The Score Bet, which launched in New Jersey last fall. Aubrey, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, it's I'm super excited to talk to you because you represent a topic that we haven't really gone into. We've had one esports guest, um, but also, I mean, I think the shorthand I perhaps for the score is that you are a media company that's gotten into the into the betting game. And I'd love for you to set the stage in your own words on kind of the one on one on the score, what it is, how it works, and for the purposes of this podcast, how esports and sports betting are tied together. Sure. Um, so the score, uh, at our core, we are a mobile sports media company. Um, we are, our, our core product, uh, is the score sports app. Um, uh, second largest sports app in North America. We have, uh, four to 5 million MAU with, um, you know, uh, over a hundred session per user per month. Um, so a really highly engaged sports fan, uh, or sports audience. Um, and that's kind of the nexus of our universe. And the reason that we've expanded our footprint from sports media into esports media and from sports media into sports betting um, comes initially and largely off of uh, our competency and skill and success around sports media. Um, now, our offerings, and we can get into it a little bit, but around esports, about where it started to where it's ended up. Um, and where we are now operating in esports or how we're now operating in esports has traversed kind of an interesting path and um, grown and maneuvered into a, a, an output that looks very different from our sports media offering. But at its core, um, and what we started was we do mobile sports very well. Um, uh, not to be overly patting yeah. <laughs> no, myself on the back, and but that's our bread and butter. I well, mean, I mean, we, to we your are... point, right? Like you started as a media company, and if you look right. at the, if you if you kind of zoom out to the, you know, um, and there are some transactions, and you know, and, and it gets a little complex because uh, Rogers bought the company. Right. I mean, if you right, want to go, and... if you want to go into the way back, um, our origins are in television. We yep. started as a television sports network in Canada, uh, and we were always we were the the sports network that was kind of the younger, scrappier, independent up against guys like Rogers and Bell, which are huge Canadian media telcos. Um, so we had to be more adaptive. We had to be more nimble. And as a result, we got onto mobile very, very early. We had a, an app on a flip phone. Um, and then we were early with BlackBerry and then early with iOS and early with Android. And so as those platforms took off, we were there early on understanding how users wanted to consume our content on mobile. And largely, we saw that was a business that was building for us. And that was a business building for us across North America and organically. Um, and so about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, we had the opportunity to sell the television assets to Rogers, get out of the linear broadcasting business, and focus exclusively on mobile sports media. Um, because that's where we saw the future. Um, we almost, you know, in, in an interesting way from a digital sports media company perspective, we leapfrog desktop almost entirely. Hmm. 
Um, like the score, if you go to our desktop site, it exists it's there, but it's certainly not our priority. We saw right, we knew early on mobile was our future. Um, and so we focused heavily around being an app centric mobile sports media company. Well, I think that's an, I think that's really an interesting position, right? You truly were. You started as a sports television company, you morphed into a sports media company, and then got into the betting game where a lot of the players in the betting space are seem to be transactional betting folks who are trying to backfill and create become content creators. Is that kind of a fair assessment? Yeah, correct. Correct. I mean, we knew we've by being an independent sports media operator we've always been able to keep that authentic tone with how we service content for our users and that means we've always talked betting content um, we've had you know line movements in our push notifications we've talked betting uh, betting in our uh, in our editorial um, always above board and and always from the content perspective pre-paspa but then when paspa was repealed we kind of knew that we had an audience there that was not only a hardcore sports fan but also a lot of our users had pretty high bet intent so we knew there was a there was an opportunity for us in the betting space the question was just what is that right on one end of the spectrum you know would we be like what most media companies are doing and take very very robust advertising dollars that a lot of the books would be shelling out um or uh, if we could find the right path forward does it make sense to go whole hog and operate and i think internally there was almost no debate. Everybody was like, yeah, this is notwithstanding how much work there is in going from being a media company to being a, a media company and sports book, right? Operationally, <laughs> logistically, mm -hmm. regulatorily, all those things. For our users, it's that was the best path forward. And ultimately, what we've seen in the past and what we believe is that if we can deliver the best experience for our users, that will be the best output for us as an organization in the long term. Um, strategically, financially, everything. So, well, yeah, we decided it, that it made sense for us to to operate. So, help provide some context, especially the overwhelming majority of listeners are United States based here, right? So, yep. and I know you're in New Jersey, but zoom out a little bit and, and frame up for those that aren't up to speed on the current landscape landscape of current U.S. sports betting. How's it changing, and how are you evolving with it? Where are you in this rapidly evolving? ecosystem yeah so i mean look the, the landscape is is unfolding um or evolving very very quickly and um even now uh in the kind of strange and unprecedented times we're in around COVID, you're seeing a lot of states pick up the exploration around sports betting maybe a little quicker than even previously they would have um largely because of the, the potential tax revenue that's available there um but for us i mean the u.s is is a very it's obviously a new market for sports betting, right? Mm -hmm. it, um, I mean, outside of the conventional kind of Nevada um, retail, uh, re kind of heavily retail sports book operations. Um, but online sports betting is a new business. And New Jersey is obviously showing the potential and the promise of what that can bring, as are several other states. But um, it is, uh, well, well, look, we are, we are progressing as quickly as we can to both um, offer our users the best sports betting experience as possible and understand what states make sense for us to be able to enter and expand our footprint. Uh, we're in New Jersey now. We'll be rolling out into Indiana and Colorado, uh, hopefully very shortly um, before football season. Mm -hmm. And um, we're looking at each subsequent state that make economic sense for us thereafter. But our strategy um, kind of guides how we we how we roll and the strategy is is kind of coming back to, to that media uh, point 
Um, it's first and foremost to offer score users a bet, right? Mm-hmm. Every um, that's our differentiator. That that's how we ultimately can win or will win. Um, and you know, in, in in an ecosystem where a lot of sports books are looking to enter, New Jersey I think has 20 plus books in it. Oh. Um, there's most books are largely to, to your previous point, Jay, they're heavily transactional platforms, right? They treat the bet as an isolated transaction and it's this kind of feverish marketing flow to try to keep users coming back, coming back, coming back. And now you see, obviously a lot of them are highly valuing media and content as a means to try to do that. Our approach was, well, that seems kind of, you know, that seems kind of backwards. Right. Uh, our belief is that nobody bets in isolation. Everybody mm-hmm. bets as part of some sort of fan experience. Right. Every, people have very, um, you know, diverse but but very robust fan experiences. Whether it's consuming live content or, or fantasy or uh, watching on television or consuming on mobile, um, they have somewhat defined consumption patterns. Um, and our our thought was okay. Well, look, we have a portion of user on mo- on our, a large addressable audience on mobile. We know they uh, are, are hardcore sports fans. We know that a large portion of them bet on sports. Our job is simply to give them a bet, mm-hmm. right? To offer them a bet in a way that supports their consumption, supports their media, that makes it as seamless and easy and as possible for them to be following a game, following a team on the score, and then at their point of intent jump over, get their bet in on the score bet, and then get right back to following the game. Um, so, so don't force them to live on the bet platform. Let them live on our media platform. And when they're interested in placing that bet, make that journey as seamless and, and uh, as easy a back and forth as possible. So, so that makes a ton of sense, right? And I think the thing that really, uh, in advance of setting up this podcast, that really had me leaning forward was this connection around eSports. Um, the, the Scores eSports channel on YouTube, if you're listening, check it out. It's pretty insane. You have about 1.5 million subscribers each video that you post is it's insane it's like hundreds and hundreds of thousands if not millions of views on a per video um uh on a per video case standpoint so i i get to be the neophyte here i'm pretty adept at i think sports media in general i'm in it i am not an esports player by any means i, I follow it in the trades because i, I kind of have to stay on top of it as a 47 year old, like I think my, you know, my days of entering that are, are, are past me, but um, help me connect gambling or betting in esports. And I, I, I want to dive in here on, on, we'll get into the content creation beyond that because it's, it's intense what you guys are doing. Yeah. Well, look, thank you uh, very much for that very kind setup around our esports operation. We're very happy and proud with of, of the success that our esports content has garnered and is generating. Um, but it's the bridge between esports and sports betting, which I think is without question exists, and I think will only get stronger over time. Was not the bridge by which we crossed into esports in the first place, right? We yeah. we launched our esports offering four or five years, four years ago. Um, before we'd even contemplated for a uh, contemplated a foray into betting, um, but so it might help to. I mean, I, we can talk a little bit about. Yeah, let's start there. So let's let's start betting, you, but let's go back a bit. Maybe yeah. that might help frame it up. Yeah, I mean, listen, anyone out there that's that's started an independent media publishing entity can appreciate, right? Um, when you look at your YouTube channel. And, and it's this way on, on your, your other channels are robust as well in terms of social media followings. But I mean, look, at the end of the day, anyone can buy followers. We know that. Like, 
you're, you're, you have significant viewership on each one of your pieces of content, which is a pretty good scorecard for, um, you know, kind of the quality or resonance within the esports community, of which there are quite a few players. So, uh, yeah, give us the origin story, and then I'd love to hear how you bridge it into betting. Yeah, uh, happy to. So, um, and, and look, the, the success we found on esports was not always, uh, that, that wasn't always the case. Um, it, it took some navigation to get there. And I think kind of uh, similar to, to how we viewed the opportunity to enter sports betting, four years ago when we were looking out at what opportunities existed for us to expand our footprint, um, even back then before a lot of you know, mainstream sports media had started to focus on esports. The audience size was was pretty massive. Um, you know, League of Legends, Dota, Counter Strike. These games were already garnering huge, huge mm-hmm. audiences. And so we kind of saw that opportunity, and we said, you know what? We do mobile centric scores, news coverage very, very well. Nobody's doing that in esports. So why can't we adapt our tech stack and give a, a very young, uh, technology savvy? Uh, esports audience, a mobile product to follow scores, get news, um, track esports the same way that our sports audience can follow sports with a score. Um, it, it, and treat esports no different than we treat sports. Treat mm-hmm. League of Legends no, and Dota and Counter Strike and, and uh, no different than we treat the NFL or NBA, right? Um, and we knew at the time, uh, you know, one of the very correct decisions we made, in my opinion, was we had to treat them as a separate audience. Mm-hmm. You could not stuff esports content into your sports offering and just expect your esports audience to flourish from that um even if there is some crossover you had to treat and respect the audiences separately um which you know some people have others haven't i think you know fortunately for us we haven't i think we found some success with it but that initial product offering was an app it was the score esports app Hmm. and we marketed the hell out of it partnered with all of these event organizers um running big big esports events um uh shouted from the rooftops uh about this product and saw pretty good organic pickup and then ultimately we saw uh strangely a plateau sooner than there should have been a plateau we said this isn't something's not resonating here ballpark right? a couple of years ago when, when did you hit the plateau uh within the first basically within the first year of, okay. of rolling out that product i mean we started partnering with these major major event organizers and right? it'd be the, like the equivalent of you know, having your, your, your branding and broadcast mm-hmm. uh, and like major, major league sports. Got it. Um, so, and we, we integrated authentically. We were, we were very conscientious about um, making sure our, our messaging and marketing was value accretive and, and not just tone deaf. And, um, you know, marketing is marketing, but you're going to have to, uh, you're still advertising. So we had to be able to roll a little bit with our audience and we've got tongue in cheek with it. And, played into the fact that we were marketing it worked it was working um but within that first year we saw that um kind of diminishing returns on the audience we were we were reaching which didn't make sense given the total addressable esports audience we knew was out there we knew uh, so we kind of just took a step back and said you know what what is not working with this product offering why is an app not resonating with these users and we kind of you know took a step back and from a more macro level we're looking at what what need are we servicing with it and it seemed to us that you know what maybe just the sports media landscape for esports it's not ready for it's not it's not at that level of maturity yet where a scores and news product um is the right offering maybe we need to get broaden our you know hmm. broaden it out so with that's when we, we pivoted to video um 
Uh, sorry, do you, have, do you have a question there, Jay? No, I was just, I was just, that's, I'm fascinated. That was a, hmm, that was my yeah, imitation of it. Michael Barbaro <laughs> from The yeah. Daily doing my, yeah. I am listening. <laughs> Good. My, my rambling on had not yet put you to No. Sleep. Well, no, I was um, like, so, so you pivot to video. What year are we talking about now? Oh, uh, this was 2016, 2017. Okay. And yeah. You, you put YouTube was the flag in the ground? So we knew that if you were going to produce video for esports and gaming, there's two platforms. If you're streaming and doing live content, you're on Twitch. And yep. if you're doing VOD, you're on YouTube. Um, and you have to fish where the fish are. You can't force them into your O and O. You have to go to where they want the content. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, we um, we focus on YouTube. Um, but the content offering we started to do was what you would expect to see from sports media doing uh, video coverage. It was well, we were running around to all of these events. We were doing post game interviews, highlight recaps, um, kind of on the ground story reporting and video that plays very well and is ubiquitous in sports. Mm-hmm. And we thought, okay, great, that's the entry point, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of to our surprise yet again, nobody cared. Nobody was watching. We were like putting all this effort into producing that content. And we're like, what the hell is going on? Why does this audience like not care? Um, and we're like, you know what, there's an even more foundational problem here. Like before we can get, you know, the the post game presser, the post game interview and get the good soundbite, we have to help explain who the hell these people are and why Mm -hmm. they matter, which was kind of surprising given the scale of audience there. But, um, you know, I would kind of do this, uh, uh, you know, this quick um, exercise sometimes in rooms where I'd be like, who's an NBA fan? And you think a good number of people put their hand up. Who knows LeBron? Everybody puts their hand up. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would say, OK, who's a who's a League of Legends fan? Uh, probably fewer people than NBA fans would put their hands up. I'd be like, who knows who Faker is? Nobody puts their hand up. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. There was absolutely zero non-endemic awareness or crossover to the storylines that existed in esports. They knew it as a category, but not 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 the emotional underpinnings of why it's so compelling. So we realized, OK, well, this we need to adapt a strategy. We need to get more foundational and just tell the stories about what are these games? What are these moments? What are the players that matter and why do they matter? Right. Why are the fans for these players and teams so rabid, so invested? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we started to do. And we realized, uh, one, we had to we had two two kind of philosophic viewpoints going in. One was every piece of content we produce has to be game agnostic. We have to or sorry, every video series we produce has to be game agnostic. You have to have the ability to cover any game because uh, like, as we've even seen in the, in the two or three years since we've been doing it, Games come out of nowhere and rise to prominence and then fall off. And you have to have the ability to cover anything. Um, because if you're tethered to a single game, that game could be the hottest game in the world now. And then six months from now, nobody's watching. Um, so we needed to be, we need to build brand equity into our series, into our content, and not specifically tied to any one particular piece of game coverage. And two, and probably more importantly, or equally importantly, Every piece of content we put out had to be equally appealing to the most hardcore endemic of that game Mm -hmm. as it was to the least endemic person who might ever come across that video. That's a really good point. The old concentric circles, you got to be mindful of. You you have to. And there was a bridge and and we thought it was attainable, right? You can tell these these stories in a way that um, a fan of that game or that team or that player would feel uh, excited, validated, encouraged to watch 
and then would equally feel compelled to send that to their mother or their friend or their colleague who knows nothing about their interest and mm-hmm. they could equally be entertained right there there are these emotional stories and underpinnings they just hadn't really been told yet so we developed a slate of seven or eight video series video franchises um and we started telling stories everything from one of our series literally called the story of it's a bio series telling the stories of these players another mm-hmm. one's called esports shorts where mm-hmm. we cover the kind of interesting moments around the game that we can help explain and, and and say and show why they're so amazing we have a reporting series called don't at me where um we literally cover news going on in esports and gaming um so let me let, let me let me um i want to jump in here for a second right because i get yep. a little i want to track this business and then pull back for a second explain to me and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead explain to me the bridge how does the bridge then from esports content consumption now connect into the betting business right so that bridge is a bridge that i think is still pretty young and not one that that to be honest i'm i'm forcing users across on the reality is esports betting in north america is a very very new business yeah right? I, I, didn't, I didn't know you could i didn't even know it existed right so you can and what's interesting is during the past few months when sports have been on hiatus a couple states have actively started looking more at esports betting mm-hmm. and you saw in nevada they greenlit wagering on a bunch of esports markets they hadn't previously right so esports markets uh, in north america are still very new as far as being uh, approved and regulated markets. Esports wagering in Europe and in Asia is a little more robust already, a little more progressed. Yeah. Um, but in this market, it's still very, very new. Now you're seeing some data and some story to, uh, and some, some news come out about books saying, you know, our esports traffic was, our esports handle was great during during the, the window without sports on and, and we're hopeful it'll still maintain. But I think the reality is it's still pretty early days for esports betting in North America. Mm-hmm. And so from my perspective, it's not, um, I'm in no hurry to rush our, um, to rush the progression of building that bridge between esports media and esports wagering. I think on our betting business, we're still early days period. You know, pre COVID, we were only live in our first state for six months. Um, we're getting ready to go multi-state. We are, uh, focused heavily on building these right integrations between media and betting. Um, so that's the focus for today around our betting product. And I think the objective long-term is as and when esports betting becomes, uh, kind of grows and becomes a, not a mature, but, mm-hmm. but a pretty potent betting marketplace in North America, then it's kind of the same strategy, just different vehicle. The objective for us is to have the, one of the largest esports media platforms in market to be able to market to that betting offering. So I got to ask um, you then: Is this is because um, it's fascinating, right? I mean, this is truly playing the long game, right, as it relates to yeah. kind of where you're going with the the shift in business. Yeah. Are are you do you have that support at least to do that, or are you able to monetize what you currently have? in maybe a more traditional sense of revenue sharing through YouTube or through sponsorships with your content? Yeah, so so that's a very good question. I mean, our esports business in the meantime is an ad-supported business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have sales bodies on the team. I'm actually hiring some more right now. Uh, in, in the short to medium term, I mean, our sports business is an ad-supported business. Mm-hmm. And in markets where, you know, we're still an, ad, an ad-supported business. Um, as, we, as we ramp up our betting business, esports is, is exactly the same thing. Um, we've so you're, you view done, yourself as, in this sense, in esports, you're no different than a, um, 
in the larger, broader context of just a media publisher, right? Creating Correct. original Correct. content that we, has we, a long-term view of when betting on this becomes a you're 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 entrenched with the fan and built up that brand and are able to monetize yet another 100%. way. Okay, but 100. percent But until that day arrives, esports is intended to build as a business onto itself. Mm-hmm. Our esports media footprint, right? Like that is. Um, intended the objective there was find con find a content strategy that plays build it to scale and then monetize it via advertising and um we're only in early days of selling into it we've done a bunch of great deals all of which we've over delivered on with guys like ubisoft and grubhub um but the name of the game there is is yeah um integrate brands into our esports content build that as an esport advertising supported media business and play the long game on sports betting. I mean, the one thing that I will say for us organizationally is we are nothing if not uh, patient and uh, focused on the long term and on viable business. It's um, boy, it's is a this playbook. a refreshing conversation? I don't have conversations like this much in terms of you know kudos to your management, but uh, <laughs> especially in these times, it's like yeah, remember that esports thing you're working on? Yeah, sorry, that we gone. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's partly a benefit of us being. You know, we are a 200 plus person publicly traded company, but we're an entrepreneurial company. Yeah. And um, we have, look, I'll, I'll give full credit to the whole organization and, and our exec team and everybody, but like we had the patience. Um, we also did it efficiently, right? Like mm-hmm. with esports, we didn't go out, we started building content and build a multi million suit, multi million dollar studio for which to produce content from, right? In fact, yeah. when we started producing our, our, our YouTube content, we didn't have a studio at all. We were just producing it from within our office, mm-hmm. shooting in like, you know, a, a kind of authentic in office feel. And we have ultimately built a, a bit of a studio space for our guys. But you don't need to build these crazy multi-million dollar, you know, 5K camera everywhere set up studios. Um, well, especially now, especially post March 2020, every CFO is going to be like, uh-uh, we just went how long without a studio? <laughs> Yeah, yeah it's, and, and, right. and it's partly why our like our esports content when when everything shut down beginning yeah. of beginning to mid March, first things first, we like to make sure our team was safe and and we navigated everyone to work from home. But um, and a testament to our team and how successful they were doing this. But they transitioned to at home production, yeah, uh, without missing a single episode of a single series. And our content, like on esports, well, the sports world shut down, flew. Like, yeah, I totally think that was flew. probably the number one narrative. I know um, I was on a couple podcasts or did some articles with some stuff, the guys at Sport Hiatus, and, and you know, that was that was the narrative, right? Esports was the rocket ship. I mean, every programmer out there was like, hey, instead of NBA, let's put up NBA 2K, right? Like, it was, it was kind of the go-to. It was like, holy smokes, this is... And I had no dog in the race, unfortunately. I wish I owned an esports something. And because it was, especially in the sports space, right, it became kind of the moment I felt for esports. And all the numbers, I'm sure, support that, that you guys have, uh, I'm, I'm sure, like the rest of the industry, have, have seen a nice lift. Yeah, I mean, it, we were trajecting, we were growing really well anyway, pre, like we, we were on a really nice upswing. Um but when COVID hit, it was it was supercharged, um, and like it, it, it was, um, the viewership was great. I was excited. I was happy to see that 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 added bump. But what got me like what what I found equally exciting was our ability to really like we can produce from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Like we like we, um, 
the style of our content, the style of our production, we can tell these amazing stories um, literally from anywhere. Uh, and so that creates a very scalable, very uh, uh, kind of efficient model that we can continue to layer on top of. Right? So I think coming back to, to the, the patience in the long term, we've never kind of we've always been strategic and efficient with how we've tried things and then only built upon them once we found the right strategies. So it, you know, we leveraged a lot of our sports technology when we got into esports. We had a lot of that underlying mobile centric uh, media tech to use. Right. And then as we got into esports video, we, we, we did it in a concerted and efficient way that allowed us to have the patience to see what worked. And then we built it up and now we have a 30 plus person esports content team. Um, so, so, so I want to jump in there. So you got a 30 person because the, you know, at the heart of this is really about kind of content studio. It's a great example. I mean, this is a really good example of, of kind of the vision of building out esports, knowing that there's a market in the future. Esports market is obviously somewhat mature now, but from, as it relates to betting, right, that's the, that's yep. the, the carrot down the road, uh, of really supercharging the growth of a, of an existing media publishing business. Talk, Tell us about so you've got thirty-ish people. Describe the types of describe the org chart for us. What types of creatives you have on staff? What what do you keep in house? Stuff that you outsource? Um, so almost everything is in house. Um, we'll support if we need some contract work or we need to get to produce some stuff in regions that we can't get to or or on timeframes we can't get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Then maybe we'll support, but mostly everything is produced in house. Um, and we structured our team a couple of years ago. So that everyone has, we have kind of a, a couple heads of esports content, and then we have some supervising editors who help manage all the day-to-day processes, and um, and then our actual content team, everybody's designated as a content creator, and and our expectation is that everybody has got at least a, a few varying skill sets that can be put towards um, production, whether that's editing and writing or uh, an aptitude for on camera or voiceover or shooting um, uh, or graphic design or motion graphics, almost all of our guys have multifaceted skill sets and they're all role players and they all cross pollinate onto each other's series. And we did it that way on purpose, largely because we knew we needed to be nimble, right? And we wanted to kind of get rid of this conventional structure of, you know, you have. Uh, someone who only writes and someone who only uh, edits and someone who only goes on camera, right? And, yeah. and break down the walls of conventional production, which allows us to be a lot more nimble. Um, we certainly have people who excel in certain areas and focus on certain areas versus others, but it is really a, a holistic um, and unified team offering, um, which allows us to do things like, you know, if a series isn't working, you know, we can easily scale up, scale down resources against it and then iterate into a new series. Hmm. Right? All of our guys have kind of How do you judge that? This. How do you judge what's working versus not working? It's viewership goals. Okay. Right? It, it, um, like we, as the channels continue to grow, the bar for what success is continues to grow. And mm-hmm. you can kind of, um, you know, we have some bars, but like, for example, you know, it's your point. It's, it's most videos that we put out now will jump to, pretty solid six-figure viewership in pretty short order mm-hmm. right not everyone it's you know you, not everyone is gonna gonna hit but um there should be a kind of consistency and and uh, viewership targets and if it seems like a, a, a series is lagging what other series are doing for some sort of extended period of time or or over a few episodes it's not that difficult to kind of 
uh, evaluate to previous series performance or to other series, right? Especially because we're doing these, most of our series go out once a week. So we have, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes of our series. Um, was there a, was summer. there a, was there a, cause you said you hit a plateau in year one. What was yeah. the tipping point? Like what, when did you start seeing the, and, and I'm going to use YouTube. And for those that are listening, it's like, I don't want this to just be about YouTube. I think the thing that you said um, that's important, which is probably the biggest mistake that we see from brands, agencies, um, C-suite, there's this notion of people want to be everywhere, right? They want to be on every platform. It's the old FOMO, fear of missing out. It's like, okay, no, like your brand is really well suited for Twitter and LinkedIn, full stop, period, end of story. Like don't, you know what I mean? Like, And so I, I appreciate that, that sentiment of where you said, you know, like we need to go – where the fish are in YouTube and Twitch are the two primary platforms for esports. So with that long-winded caveat and context, what, what was the tipping point for you where you're like, holy smokes, like it's taking off. It was, what was it? It, I mean, so the clever, the plateau we saw was, you're right. We saw, we saw plateau with our app audience, but what we didn't see on our YouTube, once we started building YouTube, when we were doing all of that kind of traditional sports media video coverage for YouTube, was we just didn't see views. We would put stuff out, you'd see a couple hundred views on it, and it wasn't growing. And at some point, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. That's not, like, the scale, the, the, the viewership number in and of itself, when you're starting out, doesn't matter. It's right. is, is there growth? Is there subscriber growth happening mm-hmm. week over week, right? Are you in aggregate building that audience? Um, and we started dabbling in some of these franchise formats. Like we, we had done a couple story up versions, right? Just to tell these bio stories. We saw those were outsized performers. And we said, okay, well, clearly that type of content resonates for this audience. They mm-hmm. want this bio, they, they want these bio stories. They care much less about if I interviewed that same, that same player and got his post game interview, right? They don't care about that. But if I can go deep and actually tell the understory or the, the kind of emotional heartbeat of who that player is and why they're so amazing, well, they care about that. that. That resonates to them. So it was just we start, we had gotten a couple glimpses of types of formats that worked, and then we just prioritized resources away from the ones that weren't right. Like the were you doing paid at that time? Were you, do you use paid? No, no. It's been all no. So okay. we, we don't we we from our content production everything has been organic. Wow, that's super impressive. Yeah, yeah everything has been organic. Now it, it um it it, it yeah I. I I don't think we ever thought about doing paid because the reality is the objective wasn't revenue generation at the outset. The objective mm-hmm. was a strategy that worked. Mm-hmm. And so you can always layer on paid yep. later if you need amplified targeting or you, you need to extend your reach. Yep. But to do it as your foundational baseline, that's all you'll ever have. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think now we can include paid in our advertising deals because we know we don't need it to fulfill. We can fulfill against viewership totally organically. Um, but if there's, you know, if we want to get more granular with some how we're flighting or, or targeting and demos, then we can layer it in. But then it becomes it becomes incremental and additive. The underlying content we know will perform. And I think that was what we needed to see first and foremost. Um, and I think the reality is, you know, it, it's look, it's different in each org. Some orgs feel the pressure that that new initiatives need to monetize at the outset we had the goodwill and fortune to be able to play a bit of a longer game and take a year or two to, to get this to a place where we thought this was a mature business um, or we thought this was a business with high potential. And, and now we can start to actively monetize it. And 
uh, hopefully that means a much bigger economic opportunity for us than it would have been had we just jumped right into paid and used any content to help flight it. So you already talked about how you guys adapted really quickly to COVID. So I'm, I'm curious, what's your biggest challenge on the plate right now as you look at the rest of 2020? Uh, yeah. Um, the biggest challenge on our plate um, on the esports side, it's uh, it's it's now it's bit branching. So like we said, to your point, I, I fundamentally agree you need to focus uh, and fish where the fish are. And out of those two platforms, we are very active and very successful in one, and we barely touched the other. Uh, and one of the things we started to dabble in now is Twitch and figure out mm-hmm. what does that live strategy look like for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started to play around there. That's a nut to crack that we are uh, only beginning to scratch the surface on. Um, as I said, I'm ramping the sales force because now that we're, you know, yeah. brands are starting to get back into buying mode again um our content's been performing incredibly well so those objectives um are, are two key ones for us on the esports side um organizationally it's uh the continued rollout of our betting offering um sports are back fortunately um we've seen amazing like the, the this the pent-up demand from sports fans is kind of what everybody expected it to be yeah um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Tiddlywinks was about to have a moment there in the betting. Yeah, right? literally, marble racing. All yeah, exactly. Other, like, everything was picking up, but like I think we we, we said um, in the first few days of MLB action, before even NBA, before even NHL started, we did nearly the same betting handle that we did Super Bowl week. Holy smokes! Which is which is crazy. Yeah. Right, and we're still look. We're by no means a a huge player in market. Right, we're mm-hmm. still. Uh, small and growing but again the ties to our strategy the the objective on the betting side is not to rush out of the gate spend a ton of money and buy market share Um, we're going to build it with our differentiated offering leveraging our media asset building the right product suite and the right ecosystem between the two and from our opinion that's what's going to get us to uh, a a totally leadership position in betting um, over the coming year or two years. Cool. Well, final two questions for you, Aubrey. This has yeah. been fun. I could talk about this stuff all day. Uh, let's flip it over to you a little bit more personally now. Morning, yes. Moss, how do you stay on top of content studio industry trends? Who do you let in your email box? Who do you follow? Fess up. I've, I've been on the uh, like Business Insider does the top 10 stories in tech that mm-hmm. I've been on the distribution list forever. Um, it's actually kind of depressing if, if I know that I'm still up at night when I get that email in my inbox at like three in the morning. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've, I've been on that one forever and, um, we've got internally, uh, I, I have someone on, on my marketing team send out a morning roundup across our verticals, across sports, betting and esports. Um, so anything I miss from, um, whatever I'm not seeing just kind of from my business insider list or, or, uh, a quick glance at Twitter, I'll usually get from that. Um, and that, you know, that, that's a good quick hit to get me up to speed. And then, um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Do, what else do I read in the morning? I think that's, Are you a that, Twitter that's guy? It. Hey, it's, uh, I, I'm passive. Like, I, I passively engage. I'm not actively engaging on any social platform, which is okay. ironic for a guy who <laughs> runs a marketing team where we have a social footprint that we reach about a hundred million people a month. Um, but uh, so I keep versed, but I would say um, not 
Twitter at the. It's not, amazing not Twitter how many of else. folks are like that, though. It's. It, I think it's part of kind of like the more you get to know, the more you're like, okay, <laughs> there's a reason for it. So, all right, last question for you: Bitside Bookstack. What are you reading for fun these days? Uh, it. Uh, I like when I read. It's to mentally totally disconnect. So lately, um, it's been. I've been on the sci-fi kick. There's this book, uh, it's actually a trilogy of books, and they're pretty quick to get through, so it's why, why I think I like them, but uh, called Only Human. Um, nice. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's. Hey, it, yeah. don't, no judgment, escape him. I mean, that's that's the questions for, man. It's, I always I'm looking, feel bad, this is man. Like whenever, my... whenever my friends are, like, self-bettering themselves with their literature and, like, they talk about all of these, like, all, all of these kind of really – yeah, they're talking. And, and They've got Mad Magazine inside of it, just like back they, in the old every, day, right? Come like, on, they must, right? Or whatever <laughs> they're binging on Netflix has got to be the trashiest show ever. Like, exactly. Nobody can just be intellectually firing right. all the time. That's impossible. Right, exactly. I'm with you on that. So, well, yeah. Aubrey, really enjoyed it. Congratulations for your success on uh, you know building out this significant media publishing uh, entity within esports and other platforms as well but in particular spending some time today to share your journey with us and really excited to keep in touch and watch the score and how it evolves with as uh, sports gambling becomes uh, more and more legal state by state awesome thanks jay this was great i enjoyed the i enjoyed the talk a lot thanks for listening to brand story inc We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.